Hello there entrepreneurs, dream makers, and small business titans. I'm Chip Schweiger, and welcome to this episode of the Entrepreneur's Accountant Podcast, where you get tips and tricks that can help you level up your company to build value and create a business that goes from seven figures to eight and from eight figures to nine. I'm a CPA in public practice who has worked with some of the largest companies in America, but my real passion is in helping entrepreneurs and business owners like you because you truly are the crown jewel of our economy. And today I want to talk about the types of capital that are available to finance your business. But before I move on, be sure to sign up for email updates at my website, www.schweigercpa.com to get exclusive content and tips that allow you to grow your business while enjoying the lifestyle you're entitled to. That's www.schweigercpa.com. So back to the show. So this week, let's talk about the types of capital for entrepreneurs and founders. And you may remember a few episodes back, I talked about the five finance tips for entrepreneurs. Well, we're going to cover a lot of ground here today uh, with 20 different avenues for you to get capital into your business. And the goal here really is to help you understand the options that are most attractive and realistically available for your particular business. But in no way is this meant to be a comprehensive listing uh, of all your options, because as sure as I tell you that these are the only 20 different ways, uh, there'll be something else innovative that pops up tomorrow. But at the same time, these are the 20 most common situations. And this episode is designed to get you acquainted with the most common terms and places where you can obtain financing. And one more thing. I place this listing on my website under the resources tab. So if you're listening in your car, please, please don't try to write all these down. Just go to my website at schweigercpa.com and print it out from the resources tab and they're yours to keep. So let's go. Uh, And you know, first, actually, let me clarify something uh, between debt financing and equity financing. So if you remember a few weeks back, I talked about the benefits and challenges of both debt financing and equity financing. And as a reminder, debt financing means borrowing money that is repaid over a period of time, usually with interest. Debt typically carries the burden of monthly payments, whether or not you have positive cash flow. Interest on the loan is normally tax deductible, that's a good thing. And the financing cost is a relatively fixed expense, and that's also a good thing. Now, debt financing is usually available to all types of businesses, and most business owners go to their banks for such loans. In smaller businesses, personal guarantees may be required, and in some cases are likely to be required, so think about that. Debt financing includes asset-based financing, leasing, trade credit, and various loans that require repayment with accumulated interest at some future date. Now, debt financing does not sacrifice any ownership interest in your business, and that's one of the benefits of it, but you are indebted to another party, and entities that loan you money are interested in getting paid the coupon of the interest rates. That is their primary goal, is getting paid back. Lastly, and this is one of the challenges with debt financing, if you can't make the payments, it can get real complicated. Equity financing, on the other hand, is an exchange of money for a share of your business ownership. It generally comes from investors who expect little or no return in the early stages, but require much more extensive reporting as to the company's progress. And a lot of times, they'll look for a seat on your board of directors. 
They've invested on the gamble of very high returns and scrutinize how well you have put your money to use. And so you got to be prepared for that. Such investors anticipate that goals and milestones would be met. And equity financing is generally for businesses with fast or high growth potential. The major disadvantage in my mind to equity financing is the dilution of your ownership interests and the possible loss of control that may accompany sharing your ownership. Now, unlike debt capital, entities that invest equity in your company are interested in return of their capital at some point in the future at multiples of what they invested. Now, in next week's episode, we're going to have a broader discussion about the considerations between debt and equity financing and the things you should consider. But for today, let's proceed with that base. So first up is what we call angel investors. Angels are individual private investors who make up a large portion of the informal venture capital ecosystem. Most angels tend to invest small amounts and they can be difficult to locate because they usually don't belong to networks or trade associations, although that's changing. Angels are found among friends, family, customers, third-party professionals, suppliers, brokers, and ironically, competitors. Now, there are a few private investor locating services out there, but you need to do your homework. Check these people out and negotiate a commission if your request is actually placed. The internet, surprisingly, is also a really good place to find out about angels, and so are private capital conferences and social media sites like LinkedIn, Instagram, believe it or not, and increasingly, the social media app called Clubhouse. Also, when you hear about a company getting crowdfunding, that's a form of angel investing and is a real option for a lot of companies, especially those that are hot or have really cool technology. And if you have a technology incubator or a venture capital studio in your town, those are also great places to meet and interact with networks of angel investors. Angel investors. And while we're talking about it, venture capital is your next opportunity. Venture capital comes also from private individuals, investment bankers, and other private financial syndicates, or on a small loan scale, the SBA. Venture capitalists offer limited financing opportunities for a small population of companies. Now, because they're writing larger checks than the angel investors, the process for securing venture capital is a bit more complicated as well as the fact that these funding sources get thousands of requests each year and only can invest in a small number of companies. Now, historically, we saw a large percentage of venture capital invested in technology, but that's diversifying nowadays into femtech for women founders, biotech, fintech, including cryptocurrency plays, and startup and small businesses related to unlocking the power of diverse and historically underserved sectors of entrepreneurs and founders. Now, another good option other than angel investing and other than venture capitalists is to think about joint ventures. And this is your third area. This is where two or more companies with parallel interests get together based on their mutual needs. They have the money, you have the plan, or you have the product and they have the distributors. And basically it's a win-win for both entities. Now, here's another place where you're going to need to do your homework. Seek out companies with parallel interests to your own. This requires a lot more research than simply asking for a loan. Most of these partners will settle from 20 to 40% equity in your company, 
but be careful to protect your ideas by having your attorney involved in these agreements. But in my experience working with Fortune 500 companies, many great ideas have been funded by two large companies getting together, even if they don't really trust each other, getting together in a joint venture agreement. So it could be a really good option for you. So next, no list of capital sources would be complete without talking about one of the biggest entities in the world, the US government. You see, the government has a compelling interest in furthering capital flows, accelerating innovation, and seeing the US remain in a competitive economic position. So the first government-related avenue for you to consider is the Small Business Administration, the SBA. Now, the SBA has become noteworthy lately because they are the folks that administer the Paycheck Protection Program, or what we've referred to as the PPP loans, uh, that were necessary because of COVID. Now, historically, they've been a tremendous resource, but I will warn you, the paperwork can be a little bit tiring. Still, this is a great place to look. The SBA has many different programs which are implemented through banks. The most common loan program here is called the SBA 7A loan. And this basically means that the bank will finance the project minus the required injection, and the SBA will guarantee up to 75% of the project. Now, the bank is going to set the rates in the terms of the loan, which can be anywhere from 7 years to 25 years. And there are maximum loan amounts and maximum guarantee amounts. So check with your local bank who should have an SBA loan officer who can explain this program to you. Most SBA loans do require a personal guarantee, so think about that. And this program is also used sometimes to restructure existing debt. And you know, this is a great place to pause and suggest to you that get some assistance from a professional business financing guide. And yes, these folks do exist. They are experts in helping you through the applications and considerations for a lot of these types of financing situations, especially debt financing situations. It's not something that I do, but I do have a few uh, that my clients work with, so drop me a message if you want their names. So next is the government, in the government arena rather, is the Small Business Investment Corporation, or the SBIC. Now, these firms leverage their private capital into government money to form a sort of, I don't know, venture capital fund uh, with the government. Most SBICs are part of commercial banks and they offer both long-term loans and equity participation, which is kind of unique. They are generally conservative in their placements though, investing only in established companies for management buyouts, funds to go public on a temporary basis, strategic partnerships, and some sort of bridge financing. All right, the next area is government grants and government contracts. And I tell you what, this is a really interesting area because as I mentioned before, the government has a compelling interest in seeing commerce and technology advanced. And so essentially what happens here is you either get a government contract and the government uh, pays you to provide that contract and the terms are pretty, uh, pretty healthy for you, or you get a government grant. And I have a client right now who is uh, developing artificial intelligence for the oil and gas uh, markets and also for medical markets. For the last two and a half years, this company has funded almost all of their payroll through a government research grant. And so these are great places uh, for you to infuse capital in your company. But just keep in mind, there's a lot of reporting here and there's a lot of uh, paperwork that goes along with it. Okay, 
let's pivot a bit to some non-traditional sources. So the first one to talk about is commercial paper. And this is really a short-term debt instrument typically issued from two to 270 days. An issue is normally a promissory note that is unsecured and may either pay interest or be sold at a discount off the face value that is paid in maturity. Commercial paper is considered safe by big investors, even though the loans are usually not backed by any specific collateral. And that's because of the short-term nature. Now they're normally issued only to very solid firms and may also be backed by lines of credit from the bank or letters of credit or some other form of credit guarantee. The company may pledge assets to obtain a credit guarantee, which is then leveraged into an issue of commercial paper. Usually only very large banks, corporations, and mutual funds are involved in such transactions, but I think it makes sense to, to, uh, to let you know about it. Uh, now the next thing I just kind of talked about lines of credit. So let's talk about the difference between lines of credit and letters of credit. A line of credit is a revolving account that is continuous in its nature. The funds are available to you as the drawdowns against the total line. And these types of accounts are most commonly secured with accounts receivable and inventory as collateral. And the benefit here is that if you don't need to borrow the money, it just stays in the line as available to you, but you're not paying interest on it. A letter of credit is different. A letter of credit is a financial institution uh, or a financial instrument rather that is used in international trade but can also be used for domestic transactions as well. And this is where we see most of the time letters of credit. A letter of credit is essentially a set of instructions from a seller's bank to the buyer's bank. The instructions stipulate the conditions that both parties must meet in order for the payment and delivery to take place. There's various types of letters of credit out there, but all of them accomplish short-term financing. Now the bank might issue a letter of credit based on your pledge of a receivable, or on some other hard asset. All right, let's pivot a little bit to a receivables factoring. Now factoring is an arrangement in which you raise cash against the value of your receivables for an interest rate or a service charge. And I'll tell you, several years ago, factoring companies didn't really have the best reputations, but the factoring companies of today are really high quality financing options that also free you up from spending time collecting your receivables because they do that for you. It can be a very good option if you're fast growing and don't have two years of financial performance to take to a bank and obtain a loan on traditional terms. Basically, the funds are advanced against uh, goods that are sold that are accepted but have not yet been paid. So you're basically uh, advancing funds or getting funds advanced against accounts receivable. Normally, advances on accounts receivable are 80% to 90% and sometimes up to 95% uh, when it's all said and done. The lenders are looking for 90 days or less to be paid and the funding is available for older accounts, uh, but the rates kind of take a dramatic turn upwards. So it's really a good option if you collect your, or if your accounts receivable can be collected in 90 days or less. But this is a good option for some companies uh, for a few years, and it meets one of my other suggestions for entrepreneurs. That is, delegate those areas that are non-value added so that you can free yourself up to do what you do best and grow your business. So if collecting receivables is not your thing, uh, and you can pay somebody else to do it, essentially you're gonna pay them anywhere from five to 20% to collect the receivables for you, and you're gonna get the cash up front. So pretty good option. 
Okay, the next one I wanna talk about is purchase order advances. And basically this is just, I don't know, think about it as leveraging your future. If you have purchase orders with your customer base, you may be, may be able to get advances towards their completion. The typical advance is less than 50% and the rates are pretty high, so it may not be a great option, but it is one of your options available. Another one that is pretty good, uh, and if you have an equipment intensive business, is called equipment leasing. So think about this as renting your assets. You gain the capital equipment you need and you agree to pay rent for a specific period of time. There's no interest rate here, but the rates tend to be higher than commercial loans because that's how the equipment leasing company makes money. Some of those uh, rates though is offset by being able to expense 100% of the payments on a pre-tax basis. But you do wanna check with your tax account here to be sure. All right, something related to equipment financing is called asset sale leasebacks. And if you're cash poor but asset heavy, this may be a good option for you. Here you're selling your assets for cash to a funding source who then leases them back to you, typically with a lease and purchase option. And this is most commonly used in commercial real estate, real estate transactions that can also apply to various other assets. And as I said, probably where you have, uh, where you're asset heavy. The benefits of a leaseback are it frees up capital, it monetizes your assets, the rent or payment you make can be deducted as a business expense, and if you sell and lease back, you maintain an interest in the property and it may allow you to buy back the property at the end of the lease period. So, now let's pause for a moment. You know, we've got five more avenues for you, but now we're typically talking about options that are most attractive, for slightly larger companies because the cost and amount of work here is gonna be substantial. So, they are private placements. Private placement is a general term for several kinds of stocks or bonds that are sold directly to qualified investors. They cannot be resold on the public market and they're not required to be registered with the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. Now, even though private placements need not be SEC registered, they are subject to state securities regulations and to U.S. fraud statutes, so you got to think about that. A private placement is a great way to raise capital with a small number of investors, typically less than 35, and they're now available in a boilerplate format in most states. So contact your state's Department of Corporations for information on this and also contact your attorney to stay out of trouble. All right, the next area I wanna talk about are initial public offerings or IPOs or what we euphemistically refer to as going public. And these are forms of stock offerings that let you raise uh, more money if you're willing to negotiate the perils of the capital markets. In order to go public, a company must register their IPO with the Securities and Exchange Commission and become subject to the SEC's regulations for publicly held companies. Now the cost of an IPO is quite high and is thus probably not the most, uh, the way most businesses raise money. And the ongoing costs of being a public company are also very high. So this really only makes sense if your revenues are above say 100 million or so, and if you're looking to raise some serious money. But if you're planning to grow uh, your business uh, into eight figures and then nine figures, becoming a public company, or at least the discussion of it, is likely in your future. 
All right, the next area that's kind of related to going public is something that's relatively new uh, in terms of its uh, enthusiasm in the marketplace, and that's mergers with a special purpose acquisition company, or you'll hear these referred to as a SPAC or as a blank check company. Now, these, as I mentioned, are all the rage right now. In fact, there's not a day that goes by where I don't see an announcement of this SPAC or that SPAC being formed. I think this will be a place where the SEC will start to provide more oversight and enforcement, and in fact, they already have. But essentially what happens here is you have your private company, there is a shell company or a blank check company that is already publicly traded and already registered with the SEC, and you essentially merge your private company into that uh, public company shell or that, that uh, blank check company. And essentially through that process, you now become a public company. Interesting stuff. Okay, the next area to talk about is limited partnerships. And in a limited partnership, one or more general partners are responsible for the actual management of the business. And one or more limited partners provide investment dollars, but normally don't have a whole lot of management input. Now, limited partners have no responsibility for debts or litigation losses of the company that might occur, and the general partners bear all those risks. Limited partnerships usually exist for the purpose of investing on a mass scale. Uh, the general partner has all the exposure and management duties, while the limited partners have put up all the money. Now, there are numerous, li numerous limited partnerships out there that have been formed to invest in businesses, and you can search them out or inquire with your state as to the requirements for forming your own, if that's something you're interested in. Okay, the next area I wanna talk about, and we're almost done here, is convertible debt. Convertible debt is typically corporate bonds or preferred stocks that are issued with provisions allowing the holder of the bonds or the stock to exchange them or convert them at a fixed number of shares of common stock at a specified price in a future event. So these are most common with seed companies or startup funding where the lender would like a piece of the rock in the event you become tremendously successful. So hopefully you can see that there are numerous creative ways to finance your business. If one of these comes your way, you know, take a moment to investigate it. Talk to your accountant, talk to your attorney. You can never know too much about how you can capitalize your business. And there's one other option that I barely touched on, and that is private equity from private equity firms. Now, private equity is very popular, but there's, there's so much to it that we're gonna leave that discussion for a future episode. So that's all for this week, and I'm truly honored that you've chosen to invest your time with me. If you've enjoyed today's discussion, please consider subscribing to this podcast by hitting the subscribe button or the follow button so that you'll never miss a future episode. And with that, we'll see you down the road.